Hello, 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 and welcome to hello, hello, and welcome to hello, 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 and welcome to pop cartoon. Kabbalah, 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 Kabbalah. Coming at you live from the Ayla Valley. It's so hot outside. It's so hot outside. Um, globally, as I understand. And, you know, there's the new fire coming at the end of history, you know, Surtur or whatever, just looming like the end of all things, the Apollyon. And then there's just how much everything uh, has thus far seemed to endure. And part of it, ironically, is that the life itself that is able to endure is fueled, informed, and uh, emerged from the same heat fire source that is also so daunting as the world catches a little more fire than ever. Because there's like, you know, the gases, whatever. And then there's the sun. The fucking sun. I've occasionally wondered if the sun notices at all any of its impact on anything. And I imagine even in my most... Uh, pietistic, dreamlike myth conceptions that whatever the sun is, it probably isn't very sensitive as much as outwardly expressive, you know, like fueled by its own fire and from that fire unable really to care exactly. And I wonder sometimes, maybe the sun is not like that because my heart is like the sun, right? Radiating and caring so much. How could it be the sun doesn't care, doesn't live from caring? What kind of fire living thing is not fundamentally made of uh, feelings very strongly? It's hard to imagine, you know. I like to anthropomorphize, and I think that's a very traditional uh, modality, especially when it comes to the two fundamental celestial uh, forces in the binary and in the polarity soul and Luna now it is marvelous and confusing to me on some level that the moon is associated with the month right before the sun I would have thought to put them on opposite ends of a spectrum but I did not make the heavens no sir Bob I just noticed that the moon comes first. And in a previous uh, teaching on the moon in the context of cancer itself taking down Gemini a notch, you know, Gemini is made of pride. Castor and Pollux, Apollo and Hercules are in their own way shining suns, but also reflected. And this is why Gemini is ruled by Mercury is because it's not quite as oblivious as the sun. It's actually very sensitive as the twin, you know. A twin is defined by their sensitivity a little bit, but also their strength. And all dualities are a little ironically and perversely hinted to this. And in this way, uh, we've discussed, me and, me and the people on previous podcasts, because this is late in the year cycle of any year cycles you know there's year cycles that start with the springtime and one start with fall there's one in nissan and one in er not even that long later and i looked and searched to see if leo was the new year of anything and i couldn't find one leo is not popular as a new year because it really does feel like the end of things but i will say i do think it is the beginning of theater tragic theater you know tragedy is a leo nine reaction 
wanting to share, wanting to promote, wanting to platform, wanting to resolve the unpeace through the roar. And this is the beginning of the story of the sun's relationship to Mercury in the early play that is really in many ways the beginning of theater. Like before Sophocles and Euripides, they would themselves be doing playwriting for festivals. And these festivals were already made of little satyr plays. And satyr plays were just the story of the tragedy of the sun told as a sort of hilarious play comedy. By which I mean the fundamental story of why commerce is okay according to the law. How they invented the legalization of commerce through a um, sort of consensus theater. Because it happens first, you know, on the field. The nobility makes peace with the thieves who are taking the sacred apples and selling them by receiving something in return. Like the nobility here is the sun, Apollo. He's very mad because his apples have been stolen. And I think there's a speculated historical moment where the merchant classes sort of form in ultimate collaboration with the farmers, you know, the perfectionists, the builders, all kinds of words for the Apollonian types. You know, some of those words are pretty mean. It's Apollonian types, perfectionists. Um, there is a different aspect between Leo and the sun itself, but it is a reaction to the criticism of the moon. Like the oldest story the Hebrews have about the sun and the moon. The moon famously brings up the issue in early creation. Two kings can't wear one crown. And so the sun says, make yourself smaller. And the moon says, what? That's not fair. And the sun says, I'll make it up to you. And the moon says, nothing ever really makes it up. Those are all nice things. And the, the sun makes some nifty little offers, you know, for like stars and Jews, you know, just all kinds of things that aren't quite enough. So famously, according to Reish Lakish, the reformed criminal turned original rabbi, uh, according to him, there's an offering of apology in the temple every month, what they call a sin offering. And it's for God, for what he did to the moon in taking the sun's side. Now, this tradition even confuses a little bit the difference between Kudshibrihu and the sun. And this is something that uh, a, in my youth, uh, Sarah Schneier, Schneider in the old city with the uh, Kabbalistic meditations on the nature of the masculine and feminine had long been uh, engaging this definition of the conversation between the moon and the sun as being mediated by a third in the form of God. But really, it needs to be understood as a conversation within dot, 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 God. Like a very early conversation and one that recurs in the structure of being versus unbeing. Because in Apollonian perfectionism, there is no being. It's a little much. It's all cured out of existence. And this is the problem with the law stripped of context. It's just a little, you know, perfectionistic in a fundamentally oblivious way. And uh, sensitivity is so much the purpose of the world. The moon is so much the purpose of the world. Feelings are so much the purpose of the world. The sun is an adjunct, but a very aggressive adjunct. The oldest Aesop fable I know is about the lion, which I think is understood as Leo, ultimately and immediately and culturally. And I and I never thought of it as a 
good metaphor for the thing until I did because, you know, the parable goes like this. It is like the four biggest animals get together. The lion brings them together and says, hey, wolf, hey, jackal, <laughs> hey, uh, this is, they didn't have tigers back then. I'm going to check to see what that other animal is. J- uh, jackal, I said, fox. Fox made it in there. Hey, guys, let's all get an animal and we'll share it. Like next animals, all agree, whatever animal we get, we're going to share it. And they said, cool. So Wolf gets a fucking cow, just kills a cow and says, hey, guys, we got this. And so Lion comes over and says, okay, let's cut it into four parts. I'll take the first because I'm the strongest. I'll take the second because I'm the bravest. I'll take the third because I'm the uh, fastest. And who wants to fight me for the fourth? You know, that's a sort of a warning against the friendliness of the lion as a balancing mechanism, as a sort of wills, uh, wisdom balancing mechanism in relationship to the excesses natural in the sunfire of the Leo, which is to say, just needing. And this is the brilliance of the sun in a lot of ways, is in not needing, but just sharing unconditionally. And in this way, the sun is understood in all the ancient alchemy I know as the tempering element in the middle. Now, the irony of this tempering element in the middle is that it's somehow irrelevant and tertiary and somehow absolutely central. Like Shabbos is often associated with the moon, with Malchus, but sometimes Shabbos is talked about in, in the Zohar as like the sun, you know, a radiating thing, giving off capacity to deal with the world in three days in one direction and three days in the other, you know, kind of mitwicht, as it were. I want to learn with you guys the next part in the B'nai Yisachar. It's a Hasidic book of astro-Kabbalah that we've been learning for the last while on a few different platforms. His name is Tzvi Elimelech of Dinov. He lived in Poland in the sort of early middle development of a Siddhis period. He seems like a friend and student of the Chose, but also roughly parallel. He's related to uh, a lot of different dynasties eventually, but he seems to care a lot and have spent a lot of time walking around finding the oldest, smartest people and books he could find to find the best traditions he could find of Jewish astrological Kavala. And there's conflicting ones, and he does try to address one conflicting one here with the aspirational, glorious, incoming dark messianism of Av, of Leo in Judaism, because it's got apocalyptic, catastrophic cargo. Everything bad happened in Av, in between Tammuz and Av. And behind that and around that is also the knowledge that the redemptive promise is also associated with Av, with Leo, because the lion does share the lion is sharing itself, you know, friendly strength and sharing in many ways the rest of time in the other directions, away from Leo into uh, Libra and Virgo. I'm going to let him try to say that for me and then I'm going to read it back in. This is B'nai Yisachar, Mamre, Rashe, Chadshe, Tammuz, Av. Ma'amar Aleph. But skipping down to Zion. Ladat Rabeliezer. According to the knowledge of Rabbi Eliezer of Worms, medieval Kabbalists, who I think really described the space between the polarities and how they create each other, how the the trinity of like sun, moon, and Saturn create the rest of the stars, as if symbologically, functionally, you know what they mean. Not who knows about the literal stars, 
whatever. There's the impact of the role things have for us. And it's really understood as something that uh, unity breaks into a binary. A binary gives way then in relationship to the unity to make a trinity. And from there, a quatrinity emerges to resolve and so on and so forth until the end of counting and specifically into a couple uh, traditional Western polarities, the three, the seven, and the 12, let's say, amidst others, because everyone knows between three and seven is everything that's in between that makes it possible. In this polarized cycle of Revelia's of Worms, the sun is in the center, the moon is the closest to us, and Saturn is the furthest from us. Saturn and the moon are both the coldest because they are so far from the sun. Mars and Venus are the hottest because they are the closest. But Venus is wetter than Mars, isn't it? Because it's closer to the Earth and the moon is even wetter. And in this system, he says, Jupiter and Mercury are just the most temperate. And that's why they're both sort of defined by something like reason. But whereas jovial temperedness is sociable because it's more elevated and thus associated with the patriarchy itself, traditionally, uh, Mercury is closer to the moon. There's even traditions that he settles on the moon itself to live. And it makes sense to associate him as a kind of avenger of the moon. They both have a hostile relationship to law, but ultimately love for the whole plenary. And the original monomyth about Mercury is that he's established as a divinity because he steals the apples of Apollo and then just gets tried for them in Mount Olympus, heaven, whatever. And there he makes a deal, just like the merchant classes made a deal with their nobility to be sanctioned in their innovation of merchant craft through title and license. And this is part of what happened in Holland to create the East India Company. And this is part of what happened in the late Renaissance to create, you know, title and license, insurance, and everything else, uh, monopoly, you know, collaboration between the ruling class and the merchant class who began to get more successful, enough so that the ruling class was motivated to receive them. Mercury gives Apollo in the full light of Jupiter and the court a musical instrument that's really precious. He wouldn't have had it otherwise. Brought it in from God knows where, you know. Who knows how Turkish Apollo is. But anyhow, according to this Rabaliezer, According to his counting, according to the years of the world, on the first of the month of Av, of Leo, you could see the head of the mountains, the top of the mountains, in the year of the flood. It's so hot outside, you guys. There's a promise at the end of that flood narrative that he'll never flood the world again, whatever that's worth, but no promise that it's not going to burn. And that's something uh, they acknowledge in the Talmud way before, you know. But maybe, even in the absence of reliable divine promises, maybe even in the absence of an enforcement agent that could, you know, make God have to, make the sun have to, in the absence. There's a tradition that this is when the world became visible. This is when the thing that was actually all of the future and made everything work and everything possible started to be visible the turnaround. And this is part of the blessing of the relationship between the sun and the moon is the celestial marriage between the sun and the moon in this time, the opportunity to bridge 
between the sun and the moon in this time is, I think, the main gift of this time. And traditionally, it is set for reaching out and fixing broken relationships, for apologizing, helping other people apologize and atone, because the concern is that the judgments that turn into the heat turn into just violence very naturally, because the sun is a little overwhelming. It can pivot to Mars as much as it can pivot to Venus, or more so, especially the more alienated it is and ungrounded. So the tradition is to pivot towards love and try to make real, whole, actual, deep, concerned, human, true love to offset. And he's going to explain. And this started the fixing of the destroyed world, which has tended to grow back. Alhamdulillah, from all the hot summers and rough winters. Figure, realize, and know. Which is two words. Taskil. Viteda, and know. Hashvira bemachi. The broken in the old kings, in the ancient kings, the thing that shattered the vessels before time was in the aspect of eyes. What was the downfall? of the ancient kings before existence and maybe even after in the aspect of the eyes. But in the aspect of the ears, there is a tikkun. There is a fixing. There is a reparation. And life for us. Chiut, Chiut, whatever. Isaiah 55, Hear and give life to your souls. Because hearing can fix things. <laughs> hearing it can bring you back to life in a way that seeing can't. And this is maybe the blessing of the sun. I'm not sure he's getting to it. The tikkun of Av is hearing. The tikkun of Tammuz is seeing. Tammuz is over. And so at the beginning of all, and so they saw the tops of the mountains. It was something they could see. Hamaskil Yavin. A lot of pressure. It has something to do At the beginning of the moon that is made of hearing, where the fixing is hearing, is the healing to the problem of seeing. 
I don't know what he means. And he mocks me. Hamaskilyavin. So the smarty pants will understand. He mocks us. But then he goes on. On the first of Av also, Aaron Cohen went up on the mountain, on the mountain. There was a mountain with a mountain on it. This is Numbers 33, 38. Hey, let's go see. And let's go see. The word for we'll see near U. Is Gamatria Aharon his name? He throws away his little throwaway pun. Rashehari, come and see the heads of the mountains, the tops of the mountains. And from here, the whole community saw. Don't say, and they saw, but instead that they feared. Because the clouds of glory of glory were gone. This is when Aaron the Cohen dies, the end of priestcraft, the end of the holy thing in Aaron that protected the people, the clouds of glory. It's suddenly too hot during the day, and too cold at night. And there's two things that uh, sustained the mythical Israelites in the desert while they were there for 40 years. There was the water in the merit of Miriam, and there was the clouds of glory in the merit of Aaron. And I believe the manna in the merit of Moses. And, you know, he didn't die until the end of the story. But Aaron dies on the beginning of Leo. It's the end of the negotiation on some level. The pulling away of the clouds of glory. Why are they called clouds of glory? Kavod. Because they cover, but they also move. A couple words for cloud are associated with glory. Hadar, like further and back and before and behind. My understanding is that the kavod is actually the very first thing. And it makes sense on the organ cycle. The kavod is the beginning of organs, let's say. If you're holding that spring is the first of the organs in the Chinese calendar, you know, the liver is already that kavod. And it's the beginning of commandments, you know. Honor your father and mother. It's the challenge of the self and maybe the Balancer to the heart in the self. But kavod is a different thing. Kavod's respect. Kavod's style. Kavod is glory. And these clouds were gone. And it was too much again. But I That's from the, the Gemara and Tanis, page 9. And they quote this as being the moment when the local predatory king comes down upon them. Melech Arad. Arad, Biklipa, Bigmara, Zelumazel, Rachel, Bikdusha, Gamachi. So that's a cute one, cute throwaway one. I think it's full of meaning, but I think he also just likes finding these cute Gamachrias to build his case, because he builds on the fundamental assumptions about the natures of the letters and what else they include. So there is some kind of speculative playfulness that comes with that. And I think that is part of the dynamic between seeing and hearing and hearing better, which is traditionally the virtue of Aaron that is supplemented in his absence. Hearing better, looking for the good in. But here, Arad, Ayin Reish Dalid, is a king here associated with the other side, the power of the other side. This is an esoteric reading of this little situation on the day that Aaron died. And the king of the other side, Arad, sees 
and approaches, or hears rather, hears, Vaishma Haknani Melech Arad. Arad is Gematria, Rachel and Leah. And he is suggesting this is because Malchus, Rachel and Leah, the two sister wives of Jacob, are the hay itself in many ways and associated with the divinity in the face of the experienced divinity itself in the two different ways. And Arad is the other side of that. It's so hot outside. He came down and asking, making sure he heard right. Is Aaron still alive? Which is Gematria Tirtsu, if you want it. And gave him, in conclusion, permission to fight once he knew Aaron was dead. This is according to the Talmudic tradition in Tanis uh, Ta'anit, page 9. Contemplate and understand, I'm sorry, um, figure out and know, Taskil Vateda, Tirtsu, you want, is the two courts, hard and soft. These are the two courts, right? Two different ways court can go, hard and soft. And similarly, in esoteric early Kabbalah, there's a hard and soft pronunciation of several letters, you know. Begged Kaparet, Bevegage, Bevid, Chafarth. Two sides. Kashevarafe, Sod Bet Yamim de Rosh Hashanah, Leia Rachel. This is in the aspect of the secret of the two days of Rosh Hashanah, Leia and Rachel, right? The two faces of the Divine Mother and Sister, Wife above. Zelumatze Arad, this is the offset. For Arad, Haven understand. Ayen b'megilah b'megale amukot bil amratzala amshich hadin al Yisrael chazashalom alkein bilam b'muluyo b'gemara tetsu. Zarot al sinai Yisrael kasheve rafa. He quotes here generously the megale amukot, one of the most interesting almost traditionally borderline unfathomable Kawas saying about Bilyam that he wanted to push and continue the judgment of Israel, Chasvashalam. And so Bilam in its expansion, which is to say, if you take each of those letters and make all the letters in that letters, is Gematria Tirtsu, Tafresh Tzadik Vav. And he inverts it. The Bnei Saskar inverts it with a little um, inversion sort of game. Takes Tirtsu and turns it into Tsarot al Israel, like uh, troubles on the haters. Kashe mirafe. Tirtsu is Gamatria. Kashe mirafe. Hard and soft. The most fundamental of standards. Hard and soft. And this is a little bit the challenge in the space between the sun and the moon and the clouds of glory that protect us in between them, and how much we are overwhelming, and how much we are accommodating, sensitive. Right? There's that one nice story where the sun does listen for Joshua of all people, just the worst guy, but maybe not the worst guy. Maybe at least had some kind of integrity that made the sun respect him and just take a break just one day until they were done killing. And in the will of the Lord is the ways of a person even with their enemies. He says aspirationally, as a little throwaway blessing between this, hard and soft, quoting 
Proverbs 15, 7. And so in this power, Hitgabrut, overcoming of the king of Arad, you know, the other side of the divine experience, the one that is neither hard nor soft, the one that is only somehow destructive, looking for where our capacity for sensitivity is gone, that in the self is the king of Arad, let's say. And how do we do this supposed overcoming of the troubled self, hard and soft, through the 400, I'm trying to count it, Tirtsu. Sha'ot, 400, 700, 796, 796 hours of tshuva in the month of Elul, in the month of, you know. I always confuse which one comes first, Virgo or Libra, I'm trying to remember offhand. The next one, the one after Leo. What's that month again? Kidding. I knew it was Virgo all along. Come on. Oh, 796 hours of the entire moon of Elul. Days of wanting, of will, days of desire for what God wants us to be and fix and notice and relate and notice. Because part of the definition of God on any level is caring about us rather than just hungering for us, right? A divinity that just hungers to eat us is just a monster, you know? It's just a not even a demiurge. But a God cares the way we care. Understand these things, because these things are big, what I've hinted to you. Oh, so they cites a tradition. Just the medrash, just a really pretty basic medrash on uh, Bamidbar. That the king of Arad is Amalek, the legendary villain force of just like the the Nazis before Nazis, you know, just the, the hated wicked race that is just uh only nihilism specifically to everything, you know, that we like and are and appreciate. Amalek. Who's Amalek? Amalek. The, you know, king of the other side is Amalek, is Arad, quoting an entirely different source to this idea. And the thing that defines Amalek traditionally is that it happened to you on the way. Now, this also means froze you on the way. Karcha that happened to you, but that cooled you off. And traditionally, part of the problem with Amalek is the self stops believing in the self. Chas v'shalom. Like the, the general association of the triumph of Amalek is when we just can't even. And we're so wonderful, and it's so sad if we can't even, you know. But that is how it feels, and this is the force associated esoterically and traditionally popularly with what Amalek is. Sometimes with just violence itself, panoramically, as opposed to uh, knowledge, you know, <laughs> sensitivity, let's say. 
it's extended a lot of different ways, sometimes more literally than others. It's sort of evolved to be just something within the self and within the community. Alhamdulillah, because they were basically wiped out in the Purim story. But Melech Hu Amalek, and it says about him that happened to you on happened to you on the way, or cooled you on the way. Kof Resh is Karcha. Kof Resh, Kof Resh, Bemiluyim, i.e., Kof Vav Fe and Resh Yud Shin, Argamatra, Tirtsu Kashe Virafe, Want it hard and soft. This is the gospel of the sun, the suggestion of the summer, the promise of the cities of the sun. Tirtsu kasheverafe, v'taskil v'tida otiot sheker, ot shin shebohu otwa dekishot. Contemplate and know the letters sheker. Lies. The letters for the word for lies is also shin, in which has the aspect, the atwa, the ah, presence of truth. In a shin is truth, but sheker starts with shin. Husod haniru de kik hameir le kar. This is the secret in the shining of the kik of the ah castor that lights the cold, the gasoline, I guess you'd call it, or kerosene. Kik, I think they used to just use castor oil just to light things. This is the secret of the glow of the caster, gosh, the fuel that lights the cold. Lukasher Yoseh. Oh, that's a quote from the Zohar, by the way. Zohar, Chelik Aleph, Bet, Ayin, Bet. Lukasher Yoseh, Hanhiru, Dekik, Shehuchiut, Hasitra, De, Ha'ah, Hasitra, Tehora, Ah. And when the light is held back, because the fuel is withheld, this is the life of the other side, the fuel that it lives from, you know, that it burns from. Whatever, and it's uh, if it's taken away, it's left without its chalochit. Ooh, they have a comment there for chalochit is. Ah, bread, as I suspected. Chalochit. As yikuyam zachar malek. And that's how it's fulfilled, the blotting of the memory of Amalek, cutting off the fuel supply. That's rough. That's rough. If you cut off the fuel, and he doesn't want to say more about what the fuel is, except that it's kind of desire itself, and that it's kind of heat itself. And this is the challenge of the fire inside of us in this time of year. We sure are irritable. We sure are sensitive. We might even be exhausted. And we might be excited. And in general, excitement is better than like horror, you know? But that's also the turning up of the clarity of the walls between the things. So, the book of Judges, the most violent book in the Bible, more or less. I think that's fair. The one with most of the invasion and atrocity, 
hinted at and foreshadowed in the five books of Moses, specifically in the book of Numbers at the end, where creative solutions fall away and violence becomes the rule. After Joshua dies in the beginning of the book of Judges, the tribe themselves speak with one voice like animate characters, which is very unusual in the Bible because it's not the humans. It's not a guy named Judah. Usually they're very deliberate. Thali, son of Kali, son of Bob, from the tribe of Judah. But in the book of Judges, it just starts to personify the tribes, much like the signs of the Zodiac that they're associated with. But here is part of the thing he's quietly backhandedly resolving. The month of Av, of Leo, is associated in most of the system that he's using, that we use, I should say, in Hasidus panoramically. And that even like the the evil sort of astro-Kabbalists, like Yitzhak Ginsberg or stuff, still use the same Bnei system, more or less, where Shimon, the tribe of Shimon, the most violent and terrifying tribe, the most unapologetically self-directed tribe, um, is the one for Av. And that's sort of an obvious choice in light of the associations of uh, violent danger. But then later on in the book of Numbers, um, the avatar of Shimon is Zimri, the guy who does love the strange girl, who does marry the princess and is killed for their troubles by Pinchas. But on the other hand, Leo is Judah, fundamentally, and Cotton Mathers in his first English commentary on the Sefer Yitzira in like the 17 or 1800s or whatever includes both, but likes the other one because it's tidier astrologically, where Leo is the conquering lion and Joseph is the big, dumb Taurus at opposite ends of some kind of spectrum. But they're not really at opposite ends of the spectrum, are they? One builds into the other. And that was part of the implicit dynamic in that narrative where Dan is Aquarius and, uh, gosh, I don't even know who Scorpio is. Um, after Joshua dies, the tribe of Judah stands up and says to Simon, Oh, whole tribe, his brother, come with me in my way, and we're going to go up. And they went up and they did the invasion together. That's Judges chapter 1, book 1. Why does the Bible want to tell us this? The Bible is a sacred text. You know, it's only got so much cognitive time and space. What are they even telling us this weird personified story for that they went up together somehow? Why does it tell us that he says this? Why does it tell us that it happened? And it's very weird for the tribe of Judah. It's problematic also because what a weird thing to do for Judah to do. They all collectively ask the living voice of God, hey, who should go up first? And the voice said, Judah. I have put it in his hands. So Judah is like, come on, Simon, you and me. What a strange, rude gesture. And is that just what it is? They're just supposed to go and fight, as is the, the language is to war according to the human nature, Teva Inoshi, just to go and do that? Paris for a bit. Uh. So traditionally, in the systems we've been looking at in the Bnei Yisachar, Judah gets the first month. Of course he does. Uh, a sheep is a lion in its way. And so Ares is the one most associated with Judah. According to, again, this, this main system based on the order in the middle of the Bible rather than the birth order, which, you know, 
The birth order is never the order. So the thing about Aries, let's say part of the relationship between Aries and anything, sheep, rams, at all, Aries beyond the binary, trinary, plenary, is about freedom. Because Nissan is about freedom. Beginnings is about freedom. Oh. Freedom and liberation. To come. This, the one to come, specifically. The freedom and liberation that we're still waiting for, even. To inherit the land. To be able to take real ownership of the land. Can you imagine? The thing, the thing that's already given to you to be able to even have it. That's a definition of liberation here. To actually have the thing that you already have. Let's say, let's say, let's say. The nature of Av, Leo, was ready to be the opposite. Until, and this is all in brackets, until God decides to make it have mercy on us, on his people, on his lands, and on the month itself, to be nice instead of awful, to be redemptive instead of dangerous. Can you imagine? To be a time where we make things right with each other, with our enemies and with our friends and our beloveds and our most closest, the ones we're in most danger of hurting, like the sun and the moon. Until God is mercy. Because as it stands, the moon within the Jewish calendar, at least, of Leo is the most embarrassed. And it's supposed to turn around any day now into joy. And may the good that comes down and is inherited by the land be something that makes everything right everywhere. This is the invitation of the future to be free also in this time. Let's say at the beginning of time, there was a bit of a problem in that a beginning and an end had to be formed. And whatever was first was first. And you know how it is with this world. Assholes always go first. Who goes first? The one that insists. And let's say the concept of gallantry is to insist to go first in order to say to the person behind you, after you, madame. Behold the storyteller from before and after everything. In order to uh, overcome the brokenness of his people. And that they would be consoled even in the days of their poverty. Because oh, in the beginning, we had an exodus. And in the beginning, we had an Aries. So that everything would start in the awesome and be an awesome that would carry over even into the hottest, hardest, most alienated center of violence and of concern and of attention and of impatience. Holy shit, is it hot outside? Shimon is invited to be the time and thing that also is this freedom too. And so summertime is liberation. And it's hard not to feel like even the worst of the fires are their own opportunity for liberation. I mean, that's not fair at all. Because they're the worst. 
the fires, destroying what's alive cruelly and painfully. But there's still a hope that at the bottom of it, there's the moment where we don't have to burn more than we are already burning. At the beginning of the time before time, and Yehuda invited to come, was invited to come at the very beginning. Aries was invited to come at the very beginning to inherit everything. That his month should be fixed. Judah invites Simon, his brother, to come with him together. And I think this is part of resolution of the idea. Judah owns Leo in the fixed days. When Leo is tempered with real sensitivity, real uh, concern, real devotion, you know, real heart. And the son is an agent of healing and not just heat. Because this month is ready to flip and be the opposite in a healed world. And I will clarify to you the thing that's in my heart with wide arms. Everyone knows, and I will tell you what I know, if you just hear me, he seems to imply, with his open arms. It's known that when Ezra went in the times of the second temple from Babylon, the beginning of his trip was in Aries, was in Nisan, the foundation above from Babylon, and he arrived to Jerusalem in the month of Av, in the month of Leo. That was his arrival into Jerusalem from Babylon. Babylon seemed really like they're more into Marduk than in the sun, but in traditional Jewish mythology, Babylon is more into the sun, and it's hard to know any historicity to that. Whatever. You know, you could say that in the second temple there was not a complete redemption. You know, it was nice. It was awesome. It was not a complete redemption. And just like God says to Zechariah, the prophet, that the fast day of the fifth month would turn into a holiday of celebration and joy in the book of Zechariah, uh, chapter 8, line 19. And so it was just a temporary rejoicing, the rejoicing that was, you know, because it wasn't forever, didn't turn everything around completely, just for the moment. Just on that day, just for that one party, just for that one festival, just for that one moment. And at the moment when they did first acknowledge the triumph of the second temple, and that was possible in that moment of Babylon where we were allowed to leave, they right away connected it to the idea of the exodus from Egypt. And it joined a lot of the Passover liturgy, and it itself kept talking about the exodus from Egypt and identifying itself with the, in the story of Ezra and Zechariah. <laughs> All redemptions come up when the new redemption hits, even though 
And all the miracles and redemptions are like peripheral, mythically, when compared to the Exodus from Egypt. And so it was that in the second temple, and even the opposite was able to turn into joy. Notice that Ezra's exodus was in Aries. But he came to Jerusalem on Leo, because Leo is its own kind of redemption, if you let it be, and if you're there for it. But in the future, it's going to be that the festivals in the summer will be so good that the exodus itself will be a small thing and just this year's festival will be the big thing. And then will be the lot of Judah will be in its month peripheral to the lot of Shimon, which is in Av. He keeps saying more and tells us to understand more things. I don't think I have the strength for it right now. Let's try again tomorrow, you guys. Chodesh Tov.